This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, let's go. Parsh Truma, everybody, 5783. The Pusik says, so this is toward the end of the Parsha. It's the end of Parsha's Truma. It's dealing with one of the big Kalim. Parakov Zion, Pusik Aleph. It says, Va'asisa esemizbeach atseishitim. You should make the Mizbeach, this is the outer Mizbeach, the outer altar of Atzei Shittim, of Shittim wood. Chamesh Amos Orech Chamesh Amos Rocha. Five Amos wide, five Amos long. Revuya Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has to be square. Shlosh Amos Kamasa, and it has to be three Amos tall. Five by five by three. That seems to be pretty simple. It seems to be a pretty easy idea to understand. That's what we have right over here. Now, first of all, this is the Mizbeach in the Azara. By the Mishkan, it was right outside of the Kodesh and the Kodesh of Kedashim. In the Besa Mikdash, we know it's in the actual Azara itself, right in front of the Heichal. That's where it was placed. There was another Mizbeach that we're not talking about, which is the Mizbeach HaZahov, on which was brought the Ketores, right? And that was placed inside the Kodesh, right by the Menorah and the Shulchan, or the Menoros and the Shulchanos in the Besa Mikdash. But this is talking about the Mizbeach where they brought brought all of the korbanos, all of the animals that were brought, as well as their blood. The blood was sometimes sprinkled in it, sometimes sprinkled on the inner Mizbech, sometimes sprinkled on the parochas, sometimes sprinkled in front of the Aron Kodesh. Regardless, that's that. There were water and wine libations that went on top of the Mizbech itself, and more, and it could be seen by anyone. Anyone that was there, unless you were blocked by a certain area of the base of you could see the Mizbech, which was pretty large. Even if it was only three Amos in the Mishkan, for sure by the base of Mikdush, it was much, much bigger. This Mizbeach was made of wood. Now, it did have dirt and stones on the inside when it became more permanent. Obviously, when they're traveling through the Mishkan, it made absolutely no sense to be able to fill it up with stones and stuff like that, right? But nonetheless, it was eventually covered with copper, and it had to be perfectly square. Absolutely perfectly square. The Barbanel says that we started off with the most chash of a We started off with the Aron Kodesh, which is entirely gold. We went into the menorah, right? We talked about the Shulchan, all those things that are completely made of gold itself. We also talked about Kalim that were made out of Tolas, Shani, Argaman, Tcheles, Sheish Mazor, all those things together. And then we have this. This was made from wood with copper. Obviously not the most chashuv of the materials that you had for the Beis HaMikdash or the Mishkan itself, but nonetheless something that looked chashuv, looked important over here. Now, there's no question, the Abarbanel adds, that the top of the Mizbech was not made of wood. There's no way, because there was a constant fire on top that would melt the wood, even if it was petrified. It would eventually go through the wood itself. And instead, what there must have been is something else on top that was a material. There is a Gemara at the end of Chagiga that says that the copper never burned through, and that was a, an absolute m- m- miracle, that the Mizbech, no matter what was on top of it, the fire stayed the way it was. Regardless, it looked awesome. Because you're dealing with copper, and copper shines back. It's what they used to use for mirrors back then. Imagine the sun rising over the east side. Remember, when you're looking toward, maybe not by the Mishkan itself, but by the base of Mikdash, you're looking toward the west. And you see behind your back, the sun is rising. And it shines up against the Mizbeach. And the Mizbeach was shining back as if it was something that you couldn't even look at because of the, the clarity of the sun that was going up against the Mizbeach. It looked absolutely awesome, shining in all of their faces. Now, according to Rabbi Yossi and Chulin, Nun Tesimaviz, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, the three Amos of height of the Mizbeach, even by the Mishkan, was only, right, above a certain other area of the Mizbeach, meaning it's three Amos 
from this point on, from here on, and that was the three almost. But underneath it, there was a lot more space. There was a lot more that was there. There was an outer area on top where the corners were. There was an ama area where the Kwanim walked. The inside area by the Mizbeach, because this is rather small, five by five amos, is give or take. We're talking ten by ten feet. It's not that huge. There was only an inner area of an ama by an ama where they used to burn everything. When there were a lot of korbanos being brought, obviously that was not an easy thing to do. There had to be some miracles involved that the animals burned a little bit quicker. Nonetheless, that's what happened. In the base of Mikdash, it was bigger, not huge, but still bigger, probably around the area of 10 by 10, almost possibly even more to 20 by 20. Regardless, right, it was a larger area. There was a sovave, there was a karkova mizbech, which we'll talk about as we go on, but that's the idea. Shlomo, yeah. All of that, by the way, is just facts. We're just going into regular facts that goes through. Yeah. The top that they walked on, it depends. We don't know. It's possible as copper. It's possible as wood. We don't talk about the top of the Mizbeach as much as we talk about the actual other side. So yes, in Pashup Shot, it was copper under, on top of the wood, but we don't know. You assume. I don't know if they were connected exactly to the part that was on fire, right? If it was exactly connected, if it was a separate point. So no, they were not walking on boiling hot copper. That for sure not with their bare feet. That didn't happen. Yeah. Just wondering... Did they ever, was there ever an official like polishing? Because a lot of metal here that can tarnish, or is it just miracle living? Yes, always they took care of that. Meaning there was there were cleaners all the time, especially in the base of Mikdash. What happened in the Mishkan, we don't know. For the 40 years in the Midbar, it's possible that it never tarnished, it never went bad. But we do know that by the base of Mikdash, there were people whose jobs were, and they got paid from the Truma Salishka to be able to take care of, made it look good, etc. Now, the Ksada Kabbalah and the Abarmino both say that it's called the Mizbeach because of Zevach. The word Zevach stands for Korbanos, what's sacrificed on it. And they say that that's the idea, Mizbeach is where you sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's called an altar. But that's the wrong word. Altar just means like a high place. But that's not the translation of the word Mizbeach. Mizbeach literally is a place where you sacrifice. The inner Mizbeach was also called that because that had a similar job even though there were no animals brought on the inner Mizbeach. It was just spices and stuff like that. There was nothing like it. Regardless, it was called the Mizbeach itself. Now the Alshech gives a couple gematrias here. He says Mizbeach is the gematria of Zun. That it was the source of all of our food. If we gave korbanos to Hashem, then Hashem brought us what we needed from above. That was the idea of the shepherd that was given back to us. Zav is gematria 57, Mizbech is that as well. It also had the ability to push off tlalim ra'im, says the, says the Alshech, which means it took away all the terrible things that could come down to the earth and allowed only the good things to be able to be inside there. It brought about shefa for different types of trees, right? Since the wood, shitim, is the gematria 359, the same as Eretz Chaim. The reason why it's so important because trees represent Sadiqim. That's the idea. Trees are planted in a Makam Tahara that goes root, deep rooted into the ground itself and gives forth fruits. That's the purpose of the Mizbeach itself. Now, what we're really going to get into here is what the Mizbeach is supposed to be about. Shach says the reason why I mentioned this Mizbeach before we go into the Mizbeach Azov, it's kind of out of place. Like, we talked about the Aram, we talked about the Shochem, we talked about the Menorah, we talked about the Krushim, and then we bring up the Mizbeach itself. The reason why I bring it up over here is because this taught them proper Midos. Why did it teach them proper Midos? It was through the Mizbeach that the people became close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu and wanted to get closer to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It was the whole purpose of the Mishkan, to be able to see that their sins were going to be forgiven, that they 
they can bring an animal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they could see themselves being brought as the animal themselves, their animal side being sacrificed to God, their own blood being sprinkled, their own skin being flayed. They saw themselves dying because of what they did wrong, and it made them better people. It was the idea of the Mizbech which really affected the people that allowed them to become different people. Where Victor Miller says something amazing over here. He says, the Korbanos brought in the Mizbech made the Mishkan into a house of prayer. This was what they saw. They couldn't see what was going on inside the Kodesh with the menorah being lit or the Shulchan with the Lechem upon him or even the Ktoris being burned. They couldn't see that part. The Aron Kodesh, that was so far beyond their abilities to see, there was nothing there. But the Mizbeach and the Avoda that was done by the Mizbeach of sacrificing the animals and doing smich on the animals and then flaying the animals and then chopping up the animals and then bringing it on top of the Mizbeach and doing the certain things that they had, that was seen by everyone. This is what allowed people to dive and it allowed the people to be involved in what was happening over here. The limbs burning all night long and the smell of roasted meat all night long around the base, base of Mikdash, which was awesome, and we all know that it's great to smell a barbecue, well, it was something that they were constantly used to, constantly used to, and they always saw the smokestack that was rising up to the sky, even possibly by the second base of Mikdash, they saw that it was one column of smoke that went straight up and never moved, no matter what was going on, rain, snow, wind, no matter what was happening, that smoke went right up over there. That represented how B'nai Yisrael felt that their relationship with the Kaddish Baruch was. They mamish felt their tefillos go up to Shemayim. They saw their prayers, so to speak, enter that smoke and go up to the heavens to go up to Shemayim. It had an effect on them because how could it not? That was the idea of what it was when the Korbanos were being brought and it was all to inspire them, all to make them feel better about themselves. It's totally different now. When we don't have Korbanos and we can't see something in front of us, our davening becomes stale. Our davening becomes something that we're missing because we think like, okay, we're davening to Hashem, but is it really going up there? We're not seeing anything. When you saw it in front of you, you felt like you wanted to say something. You felt like you wanted to have that connection. That's exactly what happened. This means when someone didn't donate money to the Mishkan yearly to make sure that there were korbanos going constantly, they were showing an ingratitude for everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu had given them. Because this was their connection. And if you wouldn't donate a half a shekel, which is nothing, to be able to give, which we're coming up to now, the machatzis a shekel that we bring on Tainus Esther, if you refuse to give it, which was used to be able to make sure that there were constant korbanos going in their back, that if it was a slow day, they had these animals ready to go at any point to be able to bring, sacrifice and bring up to make sure that it was constantly being used. If you're not doing that, it's as if you're saying, I don't care about the connection. I don't really care about the life that a Kaddish Baruch Hu gave me. That's what it sounds like. It's such a strange thing. But there are two people who ran to the Mizbeach thinking it would save them from death. Even though obviously it's only when the Kohen is doing the Avodah that that might apply, that they can't be taken out, out, from, out from there to be killed. But Yoav, Yoav ben Suya, a Talmud Chacham, the general of David's army, when he found out that Shlomo was trying to kill him, ran to the Mizbeach and grabbed onto the corner. Think about that for a second. Again, obviously, is already a Pasuk, but Yoav is looking at it and saying, this Mizbeach is my lifeblood. He felt a connection to it that means if I let go of this, I die. If I hold on to it, I live. That's how awesome the Mizbeach was. Adoniyahu, when he rebelled against David and Melech, had the exact same thing. He ran to the Mizbeach, the Mizbeach, over anything else. Grabbed onto the corner of the Mizbeach. He felt that was his life. 
That shows you how great the Mizbeach is. This was not an abstract thing. It's something that, again, they saw, they looked at, they could feel with their own eyes. And they knew that this was real. They knew there was something there. That's how Victor Miller looks at it over here. And it's a true statement, an unbelievably true statement, that this is the idea of what the Mizbeach represented for the people themselves. In fact, the Rabbeinu Ephraim adds, anyone who learns Torah properly, the wording he says is, it's the wording is, it's as if he built a Mizbeach and was makriv all the korbanos on it. What's the Milo? I don't understand. You built a Mizbeach and you brought all these korbanos and that's what it means if you learn Torah properly? Shouldn't it be, I'm going the opposite way, shouldn't it be if you bring a Miz, if you build a Mizbeach and you bring the korbanos, then it's like you learn Torah properly. Shouldn't Torah be the ultimate? The answer is, according to this Rabbi Ephraim, no. The ultimate level is to have that connection to God. And they felt it, they saw it when the Mizbeach was around. It's something that we miss today. And that's why when people ask the question, are there really going to be korbanos when the base of Mikdash is rebuilt? The answer is unequivocally yes. It's a hundred percent yes. How are we going to get used to that? It's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be hard. Especially for the vegans out there. It's going to be super hard. But you know what's going to be awesome? We're going to see it again. We're going to see ourselves being sacred. We're going to see that smoke going up. We're going to feel our tefillos going up. It's a totally different world. That will be our future. And that's, that's why the Rosh and the Rabbeinu Bechai say the word Mizbeach stands for Mechila, Schus, Bracha, and Chaim. That's what it stands for. Atzei Shitim, which was made out of Shalom, Tova, Yeshua, and Mechila. That's what it's going to stand for. That's what the Mizbeach represents. And it's something that's absolutely awesome. Now, it's clear that we knew about this Mizbeach. The reason why I say that is because the Asu Aron Atzei Shitim. It's not Ha Aron. It was Aron Atzei Shitim. No hay. They made a Shulchan. They made a Menorah. None of them had a hay in front of it. But here we have a very clear word where the wording is, Vasisa es Hamizbeach. Where did we know about this beforehand that it could be called the Mizbeach? As if this is something that we already knew about, we already were shown. So there's a couple answers. The Orachim Akadur says, Moshe Rabbeinu was already shown Tavnis Kol Kelov, the appearance of all the different Kalim. He knew what each one was. He saw including the Aron and the, the Menorah and the, the Mizbeach Azov. He saw the Mizbeach on the outside as well. He saw it. He knew what it was. Those nine Torah says, it's possible that it's from the end of Matan Torah. At the end of Yisro, they were told about Mizbeach Adama Tasali. I want you to make a Mizbeach of Adama for me, a Mizbeach of the ground. And that literally is the ground on the inside, wood on the outside, and then copper surrounding all of it. That is what it is. And since they already heard that at Matan and everybody heard it, that's why it said Vasisa as a Mizbeach. And that already shows you, by the way, the fact that the Mizbeach was the only thing mentioned by Matan Torah, not the Aron, not the Shulchan, not the Menorah, not the Mizbeach Azov, nothing else but the Mizbeach, where you bring Korbanos. That's what's mentioned, the Mizbeach Adama, the one made of ground, the outer one, the less, the cheaper one. That shows you how important this is. So they said, the Oznayim Latorah says, the Rechaim Kinevsky is the same thing in Tamid Akra, the Nitziv says the same thing, Tosefis Bracha, Revepshin says an unbelievable answer, he says, the Mizbeach was not something new to them. Everybody had Mizbechos. They may not have had a Mizbeach like this, but they had Matsevas. The Avos all brought Korbanos. Even the people at Harsinai before the Torah was given brought Korbanos and had the Nare B'nei Yisrael bring up Korbanos. They understood. I'm sure in Egypt they had Korbanos. They had the concept of what Korbanos were. So therefore the Mizbech was not something that they didn't know about. They knew it was coming. The Aron was a new thing. The Shulchan was a new thing. The Menorah was a new thing. Right? But the Mizbech, they were like, yeah, we get it. So it's Ha Mizbech, says it's the one that you already 
already knew was going to be there, that's going to be about. That's the hey, indicating it was something you knew about. The Abarbanel kind of puts those answers together. We don't need to do that. The Rabbeinu Yoel says this hints to the Mizbeach in Shamayim. There is not just one Mizbeach. There are two Mizbechos. And while we're sacrificing animals on the Mizbech down here, and I know this sounds strange, there is a Mizbech in Shemaim exactly opposite the Mizbech of Yerushalayim, on which Michoel, Hasara Gadol, the, ult- the ultimate Malach, right, sacrifices the souls of the Tzaddikim to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Their Mesiris Nefesh is the Korban up in Shemaim. I don't know what that means, because obviously you can't sac it's not like he's taking Moshe up in here, like, come here. <laughs> like, you know, and just, just sitting him down and chopping his head off, right? And that's not happening, obviously. But whatever it means, that's the idea of what the Mizbeach up above is supposed to represent. And therefore Ha Mizbeach helps us understand there is something else. That's what the Rabbin Yol says, and it is mentioned in Minachos idea in Kufyoda Madalov. That's the idea behind it. Rav Hirsch suggests the fifth answer. And he says the idea that something that would be automatically suggested after hearing everything above, right, is a Mizbeach. It's almost like, I, I, I don't want to do this because it's almost like, you know, like making the Mizbeach into a guy's house. But if you would, right, you have a table, a lamp, right, to be able to sit down. You have sweet-smelling spices, I guess, like something to make it smell a little bit better. You have a Torah, meaning a book to be able to whatever it is to go around. And then you need an oven. It's almost as if this is the idea of the cooking ware that you need in order to get inside. That's what the Mizbeach is supposed to be. It's like the next progression, says Rav Hirsch, right? And that's that. The Medrash Tanchuma says the Shittim that was involved is because of the Shtus that they did by the Egel Azov. They sacrificed to the Egel Azov, to the golden calf, and they brought it Korbanos. Now, this Mizbeach of Shittim was Mechaper, atoned for the lunacy, the Shtus, that they were involved in back then, this is going to be the kapara for it, and that again is the atse shitim. Yeah. Hundred percent. By the what? By. I know. I'm going to get to those. Just give me another couple years. The question I mentioned six years ago, so you can look up those, right? I got to them, all right? It's going to take a little bit. I, if, I, if you want me to give one shir an Atze Shitim, you're going to have to wait for me to become a botanist, okay? I first got to figure out what acacia wood is. It doesn't really exist. After I figure that out, then I'll be able to go into like Atze Shitim and be able to figure out like why Art School refuses to translate it. I'll get there. I just got to be like a hundred, okay? So give me some time. At least, at least ten years. I, I'd like you to look up acacia wood. Just look up Acacia, A-C-A-C-I-A, right? I, I, it's like the weirdest thing in the world. There's a guy, I think he lives in St. Louis, I forget. Every time I see him, he, he knows his stuff. And he tells me every single time, like he has this different, he has a new chiddish about the Shittim wood every single time. He goes into different things of what's growing over there in, the, in Mitzrayim and Eretz Yisrael, what they were going through. It's a weird word, Acacia. He is 100% against it. It is a little bit weird. It is a little bit weird. There's some weird stuff going on with it, especially the way it's described, right, by over here. Anyway, regardless, right, I, it's not for right now. That's what Hirsch, the Medjitan Chuma, the Tzrua Moore says also that we're all going to have this Yitzhahara, etc. And I'll go into it, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Torah Tamima. The Torah Tamima says, any time the letter hey is used in the beginning of the word, it says that this is Ma'akiv, and if you don't have it, right, then you've got a problem. In this case, it means that the Mizbeach must be Rivua. 
it's got to be a perfect square. We mentioned that earlier. It must be an absolute perfect square, right? And it cannot be off. If it's off at all, you cannot bring korbanos on it. The Gemara even brings down in Sukkah, Manuel, you remember this, right? That one time they were throwing a strogan at the guy, one of the Kohanim who was at Tzeduki, and he poured the Nisukha Mayim on Sukkot. He poured it on his own feet instead of pouring it over the side of the Mizbech, where you're supposed to near the Yisod, the area that goes down to the Shisin, right? As he was doing that, they all pelted him with their Esrogan. They all took their Esrogan and they threw it at the Kohen Gadol, and they were hitting him. I, I don't know if he died. That would be pretty awesome if he died. But I, I don't know. But one thing that it does say is, is that one of them, I don't know what kind of Esrog he was throwing, hit the corner of the Mizbeach and chopped off a little bit of the corner, and they put a bull shomelach, a piece of salt, right there on the side to be able to cut off, to be able to make it a corner. Not that they could use it, they had to fix it, but they had to do something to make it look square until they were able to fix it. You cannot use the Mizbeach when it doesn't have that perfect square. We learned it out from the word Ha-Mizbeach. The Rukhach brings it as well. It's got to be fixed. There's a Meshachachm over here if anybody wants to look it up. It's amazing. So how much can be missing? in order for it to be puzzle? Is it even a tiny little bit, right? So the, this is a machlokas. It's in Chulin Dav Yud Rabbi Shimon says it's a tefach, the size of a tefach, the size of a fist. Rabbi Elezer ben Yaakov says the amount of a kezayis, obviously much smaller. What exactly it is depends if it's Pesach or not. So either way, right, that it's a size, but whatever it is. Dayela Sashacha, Rosh says, it would make sense that this Mizbeach, that Moshe was commanded to make its length and width exactly equal, five by five, would be possible even if there was a mashahu missing. Meaning, it's maybe this machlokis and chulin is talking about the Mizbech of the base of Mikdash, which was much bigger, 32 by 32 amos, that's huge, 64 by 64 feet, right? And that way, if you had something that was missing, you figured it out and you had to do something, maybe it's the size of this, maybe it's the size a little bit smaller. But by the Mishkan, Mishkan which had to be exactly 5 by 5 amos, not 5.1, not 4.9, but 5 amos, then it's likely that even a tiny little mashu would be enough. And maybe those numbers are just to say that the numbers are just a suggestion is a little crazy, right? It does have to be exactly equal, a revua, but five by five is lavzavka, but by the Mishkan, it's possible it was exactly that. There's a beer alacha in Simon Yud, Siftas about Tefillin. He says, right, how much can be missing in a Beged, right? I, sorry, Tzitzis, I said Tefillin, about a Beged to make it no longer square and therefore putter from Tzitzis. Like, what does it mean that it's not a square anymore? How much has to be off? And we all know, like, I, I don't know, are our squares on the side of our clothes? They're pretty good because they reinforce them with sewings around them a hundred times over. But are they exactly square? Are all of them exactly square? They're a little, maybe they're a little rounded. Are they exactly the way they're supposed to be? He brings this Gemara up and says, maybe it's got to be the size of a tefach or even a kezayis in order to be puzzle. He says, maybe you can't learn from here because the mizbech was large and it has to be according to a certain amount of a chesbun, right? If a mizbech is kosher, even one ama by one ama, then a psul could be the size of a tefach. So you could say the loss of a corner is one-sixth of the total size, and maybe that's the amount that it could be by a shirt itself. It's a shaila on what the beer alaka would say over there, but because of that, we're super mocked. Everybody knows when it comes to tefillin, right, if you have anything missing from it, right, if it's not, like, perfectly straight, you really should get it fixed, right? How do you fix it and what you can do? Okay, you can figure things out, but as if it's not exactly squared, that's a little bit problematic. What exactly 
exactly do you do? Like, let's say you, you were, you were, you know, you were a fool once and you just ran into a door, right? So you have like a little bit of a crease inside there. So you speak to somebody who sees the squares and knows exactly what it is and can be able to define, okay, is that a square? Is that not a square? But this is a serious issue. If a mashu is enough to passel the mizbeach, a mashu, a tiny little bit, it certainly should be enough to be able to passel tefillin. It's something that people just have to be careful about based on this thing itself. Now, we said before that the Mishkan, the Mizbeach, I'm sorry, in the Pusik says it was three amos tall. Three amos is six feet tall. That's my height. I'm six feet exactly. So it would be six, I'm probably like five foot eleven and three quarters now, you know, age. So like either way, but it was six feet tall. So it was right, right around here. So now if you had that, I don't think anybody could reach up that high. It's likely it had a little bit of a ramp and it went by it. And you had a ramp, not like the Mizbeach in the base of Mikdush, which was 10 to 11 almost tall. Then for sure you needed a ramp and the ramp was 32 almost long that reached up and it went all the way to 10 hours, which is give or take about 20 feet, right? But this still would have needed something, something. Rashi says, based on Zvachim, Daf Samach that there are two opinions here. Two opinions. One is Rabbi Yehuda, who says exactly, it says here, three amos, six feet, and zehu. That's that. However, Rabbi Yossi says there is no, there's no reason to say the word rivua here. It says rivua, you say five amas by five amas. There's no reason to say square. Obviously, it's going to be a square. He says it must be that it's being used to use a, make a gzereshava between this mizbeach and the mizbeach hazov. By the mizbeach hazov, the height was one half of the total length, right? In other words, it's the idea behind it. The Mizbeach here was square, so the Mizbeach Azov was square. The Mizbeach over there at a height, I'm sorry, two times its length. So to the Mizbeach here was actually two times its length and width, which means if it was five amas wide and five amas tall, how tall, five amas wide and five amas long, how tall was the Mizbeach? Double that amount, 10 amos. Much smaller in the base of Mikdash. The base of Mikdash, again, was 32 by 32. But the height was 10 amos, 20 feet, even in the Mishkan itself. Now, the obvious question is, hold on a second. If it's that tall, right, why would the Pusik say that it's only three amos? Where does the three amos come from? So Rabbi explains, it was three amos from a part of the Mizbeach called the Sovev. The Sovev was a little area that went around that made it look nice. There was Maisareshes on it, this network that was all around it. But that's the idea behind it. The Rambam calls the area that was three amos tall the Makom Hama'aracha. Others call it the Har'el. Yechezkel calls it the Har'el, the area of the Mizbeach itself. Again, it was three Amos, but it was three Amos on top of a seven Amos structure that was on the bottom of it. And that certainly would have needed a ramp. It was smaller, again, only five by five Amos on top. Nonetheless, it was extremely tall with Kronos on the side, corners on the side to be able to help the quantum not to fall off. That obviously was a little scarier, 20 feet in the air with nothing around you that would have been a little scary, but that was helpful, especially, again, we think of the Beis HaMikdash or the Mizbeach as a time of perfection and things are good. And yeah, while they were in the Anani Akavu, things were really, really good. Can you imagine if it's raining, super slippery outside, and you're on top of the Mizbeach, you're 20 feet high in the air, and you're trying to make sure that the fires are going? It obviously was a little precarious. That was not an easy deal for any of the Kohanim. And Baruch Hashem, we don't have any stories in the Gemara of anybody falling off the top of the Mizbeach, especially the 32 by 32 one. But nonetheless, this obviously was not the easiest thing to be able to go through. Now, there are other opinions here. That's 
from Rashi, based on Rabiosi and what's going on over here. The Ksavak Kabbalah, he goes through this and he understands a little bit differently. The actual length and the width of this Mizbeach was five by five. But the truth is, it could be anything. It could be one by one, it could be two by two, it could be ten by ten, it could be a hundred by a hundred, it could be any size, if you wanted it to, as long as it was square, and that's why it says the word Rivua. So too with the height. It had to be at least three almost tall. But it could be taller if you wanted to. They happen to make it ten almost tall. But the chiyuv and why the Pusik says three is because the least of its height should be three, but at no point ever was it actually three almost tall. That's how he understood it. He understood that three almost also has to be perfectly straight. It couldn't be leaning. It couldn't be going like that. Now obviously when you build a structure and you build it up tall, you want to have bigger base, a bigger base, right, as you go down there and then you go it up there. That's fine. You could do, from from after those three amos, you could start slanting things and going in the other direction. You could have had that. I don't know if they did that by the Zerach. It doesn't seem like it, but you could have. But by the top three, it had to be perfectly square and perfectly straight, exactly as is, says Aksav Kabbalah, and that's the reason why he mentions that idea. Rav Hirsch says that the truth is, based on Zvachim, Samach, Bezim, and Aleph, the height, the width, and the length of the Mizbeach was not Ma'akev. And that's why the base of Mikdash was 100% larger, right? Because they could do whatever they wanted. The only thing that had to be was its squareness. The fact that it had to be exactly length and width exactly equal. But everything else was up to what they wanted to do. So reverse says, that's the idea. In the first, second base of Mikdash, they happen to be the same height. The Mishkan maybe as well, but it didn't need to be that way. The Orech and the Rochav is Ma'akev, but not the Koma, not the height itself. And that was going to be the idea itself. What's going to be in the future? We have no idea. Is it going to be much, much bigger because we have many, many more people? I don't know. It's possible that it's going to be 100 by 100 Amos. It's possible that it's still going to be 10 Amos tall with the Kronos, one extra Amo, and that's the idea behind it. Yes, Lama, what's up? Correct. That's what it seems like, at least according to Rav Hirsch and Ksada Kabbalah, that it's dependent on the people and what they're bringing and how they're doing it, and therefore, yes, it's fluid. It's up to what the people need at the time, and these are not ma'akev. That's the idea of what they're saying behind it. Now, there is an amazing Oznayim Torah. I never thought of this, but it is crazy. He asked the question, that everybody asks this, if it's five amas wide and five amas long, then obviously it's going to be a square. Why would the Pusik then need to say rivua, that it is a square? Why would it bother saying that? And he says something brilliant. He says, just because something's five amas by five amas does not mean that it's square. It doesn't. You could have a diamond shape. Think of it this way. You could have two walls that go like that and then two walls that go like that meeting each other right there, but it really looks like one, two, three, four. It's five amas and five amas, five amas and five amas, but that's not a square. That's not a square. You could have a weird diamond shape and it works perfectly. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can make it. No, 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 no. You don't need it like in a right triangle. Don't put it in a right triangle. Just do it. Yeah, make a rhombus. Yeah. Rhombus is with an H, by the way, which is amazing, right? No, I'm telling you, a rhombus. A rhombus is a perfect thing. Yeah, you could do it. That's because he's using his fingers. <laughs> he doesn't have to. You can do it. You're 100%. It's 100%. Five Amas by five Amas. It's Osnaim Latorah. He says, like, you don't have to have that. You could have it anywhere there. And that's why the Pesach has to say the word Rivua. You can't learn from anything. Like, everybody else is like, let's darshan the word Rivua. Why do you have to say the word square if you already said five by five? Obviously, it's a square. And comes to Osnaim Latorah and says, wait, you need the word Rivua. 
You need that word revuah. Revuah is the most important thing there because if you didn't have it, you might be able to say something else. It's possible that this is why in the Rambam, in Hilchus Shabbos, in Parakot Chesalochavov says that a city that is Miruvas, Miruvas, has to have four points that are equidistant from one another. And the reason why is because, again, saying that they're each one is one side, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a square. In order for it to be a square, the Rambam says, you need to have them equidistant from one another. And the idea, that helps us to understand what tefillin are supposed to be. There needs to be two conditions. And Rashi even says this in Menachos, Lamed Hayam Abayz. He says they need to be even, lengthwise and widthwise, and they need to be equidistant with one another. If they're not, then it's not a square. And you don't have a square. You could have, again, a tefillin that has one tefach by one tefach, one tefach by one tefach, and it's not a square. And for that reason, it has to say the word rivua. The rivua is an absolute necessary word. Then it's sieve says the word Rivua has nothing to do with making the square. It has everything to do with making sure there are no rounded corners. He says, not like those nine in the Torah, you do need five by five to tell you that it's an actual square, right triangles all the way through. However, right, you cannot have rounded corners. The corners cannot be the way, and that's what the word Rivua does. It, it must be perfectly square, like we learned from that Kamar and Sukkah, when they threw the Esrogan and they hit the edges. You must have a perfect square, and on all sides itself. And that's why you need all of those words there. He also says something super interesting. There's Yushami in Erevin, Dathem and Aleph, right, that says, the Nevi- I'm sorry, Parakeh, Halacha Aleph, says the Nevi'im were very careful to make sure that the Mizbeach was exactly in the corners of the world. The east side of the Mizbeach had to be exactly east. The west side exactly west. Meaning you couldn't have it a little bit off, right? It had to be exactly, this is the east, this is the west, this is the north, that's the south. It had to be exactly in that way. We're all four right there. It couldn't be this or that or anything like that, right? Like Skokie Shiva's high school base matters, like a little bit off, not exactly to the east. Can't be that way. The Mizbech must be exactly as it was. That must have been unbelievable hard. He says it must be that when they were in the Ananea Kavod, it was exactly in the right direction, right? However, when they were by the base of Mikdash, they knew every direction by looking at the Mizbech. They set it up beforehand and then they knew how to be able to put it there. Yeah, Shalom. Magnetic East or where the sun is? I'm sorry? Magnetic East or where the sun is? Yeah, the sun wouldn't matter because obviously summer, winter, it's going to change. Although Israel is a little bit further down south, so it's a little bit more even, not as extreme as it is in a place like Chicago. But yeah, I would assume he means exactly east, the east itself, which is super, I never knew that Yushalmi, right, it's an interesting Yushalmi. Ayelis Ashachar says the only question on all of this, if the Mizbech was actually 10 amas tall, and the poles were placed right in the middle, right, you have a 10 amas, that's 20 amas of a Mizbech. How in the world did the Levium carry this? Again, the, the poles are in the middle of it. If it's three almost, six feet tall, right? Six feet tall and it's three almost tall. You put the poles right in the middle, that's okay. It might be heavy, but again, it's just wood and copper. They didn't put the dirt and the stuff inside there until it was permanent. So you could have like, okay, you pick them up and you put it on your shoulder or something. You can carry the poles. You could do that. If it's 10 almost tall, who's the five ama guy? The 10 foot tall guy who's up there. He's like, got this. And you have to have a bunch of Levium who are doing this. Who in the world is doing that? Unless the Mizbeach was able to be taken apart. And you had the three Amma part that had the poles on it. And then the other parts were just taken apart. But it doesn't mention that anywhere. It doesn't mention that anywhere. Meaning, according to Rabbi Yudah, everything's all good. The Mizbeach is three Amos and you're good. You just carry it and you're good. But according to Rabbi Yossi, who's carrying the extra parts 
When did they take that apart? And how exactly was it taken apart? What did it look like? What exactly was each part of the Mizbeach? We don't have that. We have no idea what that is. And I've never seen it asked. I looked into the Bryce about the Mishkan itself, and I looked up two Sfarim that I have on the Mishkan. I found nothing about this point, because look, it's hard to deal with. This is like such a random question. You're traveling with it. But Rishtayman, of course, pointed out, and it's brilliant. Okay, so now, it happens to be that the numbers are somewhat important. This is what we're going to end with. The Reikanati says that the purpose of knowing any of these numbers is because through them, we know what's going on in Shemayim. Yes, it says 5, 5, and 3. And we don't even know, know if the 3 is exact, if that's supposed to be there, but 5, 5, and 3. Apparently, the four corners, according to the Reikanati, represent the four rivers that led out of Gan Eden. The numbers represent God's name in one way. He says some interesting ideas of 5, 5, and 3, right? But I get that's the idea behind it. Walking around the Mizbeach, right? That you have to go up and then you go toward your right and you went around the Mizbeach itself means somehow the world is running. It's like the Merkava, the chariot of God that allows the world to continue and it's as if the Kohanim are allowing the world to continue as they're doing it. So the Rekhanati has some deep, deep esoteric secrets that deal with the numbers 5, 5, and 3 and specifically why it's there. Now the Rabbeinu Bechaya also mentions the four. He doesn't mention the four rivers. He mentions the four Regolim of the Merkava. The four parts of the Maisa Merkava, which we know had faces, right? There was supposed to be the Aryeh on one side. We know this from Yecheskel. The Aryeh and the Shore slash the Kruv and the Adam and the Nesher slash whatever that was supposed to be, right? So you have the four that were right there as well as the four Malachim, Gavriel, Michael, Rifal, and Uriel, which, of course, as you know, is the Rashi Tevis of Gemara, right? Which is super interesting, right? That surrounded the Maisa Merkava and allowed it to go. So somehow there's something super deep going on with the that allowed the world to keep running. And I think that makes sense because Avram Binu was asked, uh, and what, or asked Hashem, on what schus are B'nai Yisrael going to survive? And Rashi says in Parsh Lechacha by the Bris Ben Masarim, schus korbanos. It's going to be based on this. If they bring korbanos, then the world will continue to survive. And if they don't, they don't. So the Rabbinu Yoel says the five, five, and the three are the five commandments on the right side of the Luchos, the five commandments on the left side of the Luchos, and then the three is the Torah, which is Mishulashas, either Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, or given by Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. The three over there, in some way, shape, or form, right, it could be some other reason as well, but that's what the five, five, and three represent, learning Torah. I guess if we don't have the Mizbeach anymore, then we have to learn about the Korbanos, so the Torah represents what the Mizbeach once was. I do know that the Shulchan is supposed to, our tables are now the Mizbeach, but this idea, at least, is there based on the Gemara Menachos at the very, very end. Yeah. It's, it's good. I, I think it's because they were the ones that allowed everything to be there. Listen, you're not the Rokeach yet. It was pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. But it could be the Shlosh Regal. He just doesn't say it that way. You're supposed to. You're supposed to. Yeah, that you have a chiv to show up. It's possible. I, I, it's it's more. The Kliyakar says the craziest thing. He says the five, five, and three represent the ten things that we get from our parents. There are five things we get from our father, five things we get from our mother, ten things that are given to us by a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and that's our connection to Hashem in some way, shape, or form. And the three is the average height of a person, which is three amos right? Three almost tall, right? Around six feet. I am the perfection of human existence. So yes, obviously, right? So that's supposed to be the five, five, and three. Unless Again, the Kliyakar, I'm sorry? Unless it's a foot and a half, and then 
then you're supposed to be four and a half feet. Then I'm even more than that. I'm above average. What are you talking about? It's the exact opposite. Yeah, Yaakov. Five, five, three. Oh, 13 is that chod. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good also. The, the numbers are all out there. It's really amazing. The Alshech says at the end, he says, the hay represents the world. As we all know, there's the Gemara, the, the Yud represents Olam Haba, the hay represents Olam Hazeh. It's very easy to fall through that world and very hard to climb yourself back in. Like, that's what the hay is. That little thing of allowing yourself to go through. So the Alshech says that this represents a Baal Tshuva. The Baal Tshuva is what we're representing over here. The Rivua represents the three parts of one's Nishama. The Nefesh, the Ruach, and the Nishama itself. And the fourth side, so to speak, is the body. I don't know why he doesn't say that as three and instead of going with the four, but he says the fourth one is the body. He says the idea behind it is that a person is supposed to make himself holy, work on himself, and constantly be working and doing, etc., so that he gets to the point where all four parts of him become perfected, that even his goof is something special. And therefore the Pasuk says, Vyasisa, that you have to make, but you have to make yourself, he says, into something special, where the light can shine down on all four parts of you, and that's the four corners allowing you to become the person you're supposed to be. Again, the idea is amazing. So again, I'm sorry about the technicalities because that's not always the most exciting thing to go into like all the different things out there, but it's clear that the Mizbeach is our connection. It is our true connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so much more so than the other Kalim in the base of Mikdash. So it truly is one of the most important things that we have to go through. All right, Shkak, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.